All right, church, like I told you, we still had family talking through community. We're going to take as long as that takes to let them walk through their family. So, um, can anybody guess what book I want you to turn to today? Philippians. If you've been with us, you know <laughs> Philippians chapter 4. This is the second to last time I'm going to ask you to turn to Philippians. That feels crazy. This is our second to last week in the book. I mean, really, this we're in the closing statements of the letter of Philippians. And so before I jump into that, I just want to tell you, for those of you that are wondering... Yes, we're going to put hot water in the baptism outside. For so you're like, you guys are mean, but I think it's going to be almost 50 and sunny. They're going to be all right, but we're getting hot water in there. Don't be afraid. No, but anyway, um, we're in the second to last week in Philippians. And really, I just can't believe that we're here. And so, again, we're going to be in the closing statement. So if you haven't been with us, just stay with us. I think you're going to be a follow where we're going today, whether you've been with us the whole time or not. One of the reasons that you might be able to follow us is we're going to we're going to be in our second to last sermon in one of the most famous passages, at least I'm going to say verses, one of the most well-known verses that exists out there, right? A, a, a verse that's been made popular by celebrities and made popular by athletes, also a verse that's been used out of context so many times. It, it should just be criminal. It just should be criminal how many times this is used out of context. To say kind of the right thing, almost the right thing, but, but not really the right thing. And so we'll jump into that in a minute. Um, but it's also a passage. It's also a verse that I absolutely love. And when we see it in context, when, when we see it, when we understand the point that God is trying to make through the Apostle Paul, he's trying to make through his word, his word is still one of the most encouraging, one, one of the most hopeful, one of the most powerful things that God has to tell us. It's also, well, here, here's what I think. It's also a passage that we really need the rest of Philippians to fully grab a hold of. So again, if you haven't been with us through the whole thing, I'll tell you why that is, right? We'll, we'll talk about why. But if we have the context of the rest of Philippians, it just becomes so much more rich and full. Because uh, it becomes more rich and full because of all the talk that we've had about joy in this letter. About rejoicing in this letter. Rejoicing in every single circumstance, no matter what's going on in your life. It, it, it's, it's more full in the context of all the talk about unity inside the church, unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ, despite all the hard things that can happen out in the world and despite all the hard things that can happen within a church family. And, it all, and, and it's also where God has pointed us to how we're to have peace through him, that we can have peace in God through prayer, through suppl supplication, that through thanksgiving. We can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. All of that feeds into our passage today. And in the end, that, that famous passage that I talked to you about, that you'll see in just a second, and many of you will recognize it, what's the crazy thing is, I don't even think it's the main point. I don't think it's the, the main point that God's trying to make. It's an important point. I, I, I love the verse, but I don't think it's the main point. So what is the main thing? What is the main point? Well, we'll jump in today, but if you haven't guessed yet, here's the verse that is so famous in our culture now that athletes put on their helmets, that celebrities put on t-shirts, that people right on their shoes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Some of you have probably never heard of that, but there's plenty of people out in our culture that aren't even Christians that have heard that. I can do all things through Christ who has strengthened me. Right? Made popular by famous people, but I don't think is the main point of this passage. So again, what is the main point? Well, let's jump in and see if we can discover it together. So we're going to be in Philippians 4, as I said. We're going to start in verse 10, but I want to go ahead and read the, whole, the passage as a whole, see it kind of in context. And then we'll do what we usually do. We'll come back and look at it verse by verse. So Philippians 4, verse 10 through 13 says this. I rejoiced. There's that word again. The word, Greek word for joy or rejoice, which also can mean happy. Has, I think this is the 13th time it's been used in just four chapters. 
I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So let me just spoil it. Let me just spoil what I think the main point is right now. And then we'll go back and we're going to walk through the passage just like I said we'll, we would. And we'll talk about why I think it's the main point. Here it is. We are to be content. We are to be content. In, listen, in all things, in all situations, at all times, content. But Christ's strength is what we need to be content. It's Christ's strength that makes that contentedness actually possible in all things. So the point I was kind of making earlier as a joke, but also seriously, this passage, this verse, I can do all things through Christ's strength me, is not about winning football games. And it's not about having the strength even to make it through a work day. And it's not even like the motivation to go keep working out so that I can get in shape and I can, God will give me the strength to make it through this workout. Now, can God be helpful in all of those things? Can, does God, is, is God like, do you think it glorifies God when we honor our body and we try to stay in shape and, and steward our bodies well? Yeah. Is it possible that God could help someone win a football game so that then later they'll get in front of a microphone and proclaim the glories of God? Yeah, God can do whatever he wants. That's a possible thing. But that's not the point of this passage. Right? So yeah, if you're like, if you trying to have motivation to go and work out and be in shape and, and take care of your body and steward, well, ask God for his help in that, his strength in that. But let's make sure we read this passage in its context. Read this passage in its context. So to see that, let's just kind of walk through it verse by verse so we can see, see together what I think the point that Paul and really God is trying to make through Paul. So read verse 10 with me one more time. Philippians 4 verse 10 says this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So if you were with us, you remember this. One of the main reasons this letter was written, because again, this was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who was in jail in Rome, to an actual church that he started in Philippi, which is in like modern day Greece, Macedonia area, right? So he wrote this letter for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is because they sent him this care package. Right? They sent him probably money, some other things with Paul in jail in Rome so they could help take care of him. So if you went back to Philippians 2, if you're with us, they sent somebody from their church, Epaphroditus, and he made the trek all the way up from Philippi to Rome to show love to Paul. And TJ really walked us through this really well when he walked through it. It was at least a two-week journey, right? At least a two-week journey at minimum. And by the time Epaphroditus, as far as we can tell, by the time Epaphroditus got there, he was sick. He nearly died. So this church not only gathered up the resources, but they sent this guy who was willing to go, who almost died, to help take care of Paul. That's how much they loved this guy. And that's the kind of love they were showing to this guy, right? It was a deep display of love. So Paul is thanking them in this letter for their concern for him, for their love for him, for taking care of his needs. And that's beautiful. So we have to read that in this context, because if you just read the first verse, and you kind of have it with like a cynical tone, it can almost sound like Paul's being passive aggressive, doesn't it? Well, it's great that you've now renewed your concern for me. It's great now that you finally remembered me. But obviously Paul's not saying that because he said, you, you were concerned. He goes on in the, in the verse to say, you were concerned for me. 
I think what they're referring to there is Paul has been in jail after jail. He's been under leader after leader. He was on a ship for, for three or four months. He got shipwrecked, right? It's probably been really hard for them to even get supplies to Paul for a very long time, right? But I think Paul's saying, thank you for not forgetting about me. You didn't have the opportunity to send this before, but the fact that you sent Epaphroditus to me, which I think Epaphroditus is one of the gifts, right? He's been in jail. So to have just another believer that he loves, that he knows from a church that he helped start to come up to see him would be super encouraging, wouldn't it? If you were in jail and have people from your church come visit you. So not only did he get money and probably supplies, but he got Epaphroditus. And so he's not, again, calling them out. He's saying, thank you for making this happen, even though it's been difficult. And we know this church has been one of the churches that's had continually supported Paul. In another letter that Paul wrote to another church that he started in the city of Corinth, right? We call it First and Second Corinthians. There's another city in Corinth. Paul started that church. And in a letter he wrote to the Corinthian church, in 2 Corinthians 11.9, he said this. 2 Corinthians 11.9 says, And when I was with you and I was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening, burdening you in any way. Here's the truth. Corinth was not a healthy church. Philippi, the church of Philippians, this letter we're in, pretty healthy church. Paul talks about how he rejoices in them and in the Lord like 13 times in this letter, right? Philippians, Corinth is not. And so when Paul visited Corinth, he said, I didn't burden you in any way, meaning I didn't allow you to pay me. Paul makes it clear that those who preach and teach should be taken care of. He even says double honor, and that doesn't always mean money. It means honoring them in all ways, right? But Paul says, like, you should take care of your pastors and teachers. You absolutely should. But he's saying Corinth, but because, basically, because you're so unhealthy, I didn't take any of your money because I didn't want money to get in the way of the gospel. Right? And I could do that because the churches in Macedonia, that would have been churches like Philippi and Berea, like the Berean church. They're kind of famous in Scripture for always going back to the word no matter what anybody said. So those churches supported Paul so he could go to an unhealthy church like Corinth and not take their money and just share the gospel. And so this church has been supporting him for a long way. Not just that they've been supporting him, but it says in other places in Scripture that they gave out of their poverty. For those of you that don't make much money or don't have a lot extra... I get that like giving back to the Lord is difficult, and you know that I'm not one to talk about money a lot from the front. This is about, about money. This is about our hearts and our trust in the Lord. The Berean church, the church in Philippi, they gave super generously out of their poverty. These poor churches were taking care of Paul so that he could go to the rest of the world and plant more churches and spread the gospel. That's amazing. And Paul brags on them. They gave out of their poverty. This is the kind of church that the Philippian church is. So Paul's thanking them. Paul's thanking them that they gave in this way and that they gave him Epaphroditus. And so he's really thankful. So whether it was jail or court or travel or boats or whatever else, it was hard for them to support him, but now they've given the opportunity again. So Paul is thanking them, but not just that he's only thanking them, he's also very quick to say to them that in the end I wasn't really concerned about it. And why wasn't Paul concerned? I think the point he's trying to make is this because I'm not dependent on your generosity to be okay. Right? I'm not dependent on your generosity to be okay. So what is Paul dependent on? Keep reading in verse 11. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. And we're going to read through the first half of verse 12. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, right? He's, he's right here saying, I'm not telling you that I'm in need. You're just taking care of me. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low, 
that I know how to abound. That I know how to abound. So I think this is Paul's point. Yes, I rejoice. Yes, I am so glad for you. I'm, I'm so glad for your love for me and your care for me. But in the end, I'm going to be okay. Why? Because in my life, I have learned that whether I am brought low, I have learned that whether I abound, I am to be content. And that word content means to be satisfied. Right? It, it, it really can mean to be well-pleased. It doesn't mean you're pumped about every situation in your life, but you're, you're pleased with God. You're pleased with where he, he's got you. You're, you're satisfied that you have enough in your life right now to be satisfied, whatever that looks like. And if you, if you haven't been with us, you might remember um, Paul knows how to be brought low. Another translation of brought low is to be humbled. And Paul knows how to be humbled. Paul knows how to be brought low. Um, Paul has been beaten. He has been just utterly betrayed. He has been abandoned. He's been left for dead, I think, on multiple occasions. Right? And now he's in jail with a potential death sentence hanging over his head simply for following Christ. Simply for doing exactly what Jesus Christ asked him and commanded him to do. Now he's in Rome and he might be killed for it. Right? He knows how to be brought low. But you know what? I think the thing that we don't think about is Paul knows also how to absolutely abound. In Paul's life, he has abounded in crazy ways. Not only is he of the highest education in Jerusalem and in Israel, not only did he used to run in the elite circles and, and was probably going to be at least somewhat wealthy by, by cultural standards if he would have kept his life, he left that behind to follow Christ. But since then, he's abounded in other ways. He's experienced things that a lot of us would just, has just dreamed of experiencing. He's experienced miracle after miracle after miracle, so much so that people touched Paul and got healed. Do you know like, how cool that would be to be a part of? Like spiritually, how awesome that would be if they were saw people being healed just because they touched someone who was healing people? He says he's had visions where he had visions of heaven. He saw visions of what heaven is going to be like that basically no one else has had. He's abounded in visions and prophecies. And, he's got, and then on top of that, he's got to start these churches. He's basically been the one responsible for taking the gospel to the non-Jewish world. He gets basically the credit for that. Paul has been a part of amazing things. He, he's seen the gospel move in such power that the just, man, the just depraved city of Ephesus, the depraved Roman city of Ephesus was literally changing because the gospel is moving such power. And he got to watch that happen. Paul has not only abounded in so many worldly ways, but he has abounded in spiritual ways. So what I think Paul is saying here is, is no matter how bad it seems, or hear me, how amazing it seems, I'm to be content with what has God, with what God has given me, no matter what. No matter what. Now, before we move on, I want you to think about something for a second. I want you to actually process this. Where do you think it's easier to be content? Where do you think it's easier to be content? When we're humbled? When we have been brought low with suffering or pain or sickness or loss, our own sin, someone else's sin, right? Whatever that might be. You think it's easier to be content in those things or it's easier to be content when it feels like things are abounding in our lives, when we have more than enough, when we have what we actually long for? Where do you think it's harder to be content if you didn't feel like your pastor was setting you up? I am, I am setting you up. <laughs> But if it didn't feel that, because I, I think the natural reaction for most of us is it would be much easier to be content if things were going well. 
I say going well, that's, that, that's a tricky word. That's not really what I'm saying, if things were abounding. But here is interesting. When you kind of do a word study on content, you find some other passages that use the same word. You might be surprised what you find. Turn over to 1 Timothy 6. So you're going to go right in your Bibles, just a couple of books. Go right in your Bibles, just a couple of books. 1 Timothy 6. Timothy, if you haven't been with us, Timothy was mentored by Paul to be a pastor. And so even he talks about in the book of Philippians, Paul is planning on sending Timothy to the Philippian church to encourage them, to pastor them. For a long time, Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus that we just talked about. Right? And so I think when Paul writes this letter, Timothy is the pastor at the Ephesians church. And in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, it says this in relation to a lot of things, but contentment is one of the things it's talked about here. 1 Timothy 6, 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Another famous passage here, right? Money is the root of all evil. It doesn't actually say money is the root of all. It's the root of all kinds of evil. But that's not the point of this passage either, is it? It kind of is. It's to be content. But now, hey, saying, like, what's Paul saying to Timothy? To another pastor, listen, if you have enough to eat and you have clothing, I'd add, if you have, if you have a place to stay and you can be safe, then be content. That's a godly thing. He's kissing her dad over there. I'm content with that kiss of her dad. But anyway, um, be content in those things. Right, but then what, what warning does he immediately go into? Does he go into a warning of, but if you go through suffering, I know it's kind of hard to be content. Then the Bible talks about that too. We're going to talk about that in a second. But what's the warning here after he tells him to be content with what he has? Be careful of riches. Be careful for the longing of money. And really what it is, not, none of us really long for money, or most of us. We long for what money can give to us, which in a sense is control, is comfort, is us not to have to worry about things. We think that's what's going to make us content. If I don't have to worry about all of this stuff anymore, then I'll be content. If I have just enough, then I'll be content. But what the pastor's warning is not suffering here. It's money. It's the longing for money. It's wealth. Let me read another one to you really quickly. Hebrews 13. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I think most of the time when we think about contentment, it's probably going to be related to the difficulty of this life. It's going to be connected to struggles, things that we wish were different. And, and that's absolutely true. And that's something we're going to talk about in a second. But, but the lies of abounding sometimes hide how, just how dangerous abounding can be. Because I think sometimes we mistake ease for contentment. Right? We mistake apathy for being okay. I'm not, I'm not really motivated, but it's okay. Things are okay right now. We, we mistake routine and normous, normalcy. We're in, our, in our, our, our routine and everything's taken care of and normalcy as, as health, that we're healthy. But the Bible warns us about the dangers of wealth all the time, not because God is against money. 
There's plenty of people in Scripture that help start churches, like Lydia and other people that help start churches that have money, that use their money for God's kingdom, that they use it for the glory of God. And they're wealthy. God's not against wealthy people per se. He's not against riches per se, but he's against how money hides our desperate need for him. It just covers it up. And it becomes the place that we, the, the place or the thing that we place our trust in over placing our trust in God. And that is insidious. That's dangerous. That's hard to see sometimes. So although it's, it's really hard to be content in the midst of suffering, yes, and amen, we'll talk. Again, we're going to talk about that. But at least suffering destroys our illusion of control. Right? When you're suffering, you, you, it becomes starkly obvious that you don't really have control over anything. Right? I, if some of you know my story. When I grew up, right, we kind of had the perfect family. We kind of had the... Like everything kind of went how you would think it would, we wanted to go. How, the kind of life that I want my, my kids to have, right? Two parents who love them, who love Jesus. Like that's the kind of life we had. And then my dad got cancer and, my, cancer and died and my whole life changed when I was 15. And any sense of control I thought I had went out of the window. My whole life changed with, with one doctor visit and one conversation with my dad and everything was different. And we live every day and we try to pretend that, like that's not the case. That I've got control. Like I've, I've got this, this life thing handled. And any kind of abounding in wealth hides that. Now, some of you in this room think this isn't, well, I get that, but that's not me. I'm not wealthy. I'm not rich. I don't abound in this way. So that, I get it, but that's not me. The reality is we live in one of the richest countries that's ever existed. You know that? We also live in one of the safest countries that's ever existed. Right? Even if, even if you are, let's say, really poor. The truth is the state's going to take care of you in a way that you're at very low risk of being actually desolate. You know what I mean? Now, we see everything in context. I'm not saying that if you don't have enough money and you're struggling, that's not a real struggle. It is a real struggle. Yes, it is absolutely a real struggle. Right, but we're at very low risk of being desolate in this country, right? It, it hides what we need. You're at very low risk of something really badly happening to you because it's dangerous out those walls. I know social media wants to, and the news want to point to everything that, went to, that goes wrong in our country, in our city all the time. But if you're not dealing drugs, you're not involved in crime, the chances of you walking out this door and being shot to, de shot to death by someone is insanely low. It virtually does not happen. People talk about the crime rates in Springfield like it's all real. People are getting murdered. But almost never does someone who's not involved in crime in some way or with someone who's highly involved in crime almost never does someone actually something bad actually happen to them because we live in one of the safest countries that's ever existed and so it hides the it hides our true need it hides what's really going on it gives us a sense of control that should just not be there it hides our it hides our need for god it hides our need for god apathy comfort ease safety any uh, entertainment are all products of that ease that comes with living in a wealthy nation and by world standards no matter where you are financially right now you're, you're kind of wealthy and again all those things are so much less obvious than suffering so discontentment slowly creeps into our life it slowly takes takes over our hearts and we're discontent with our life and we don't even really know why like, why aren't I happier? Why don't I, why don't I feel better about my life? Why am I not? Whatever. So we should live in thankfulness, but we think about the things that we don't have. Because maybe it's not really money. It's just the things that we feel like we should have and we don't. When we should rejoice, we're depressed. When we should be content, we aren't content. 
because we're looking to things that were never meant to make us content. We're never capable of making us content. So something feels like it's not quite right, that we should feel better, that we should feel whole. Now, again, I, I hate making it about me, right? But like, if you don't know that, like, this is my story, too, on the abounding side. For those of you who heard it, like, by the time we were in our late 20s, I had the job that I wanted. I had the respect of the job that I wanted. I made decent money. My wife had a good job. She made decent money. We had our two kids. I love my wife. I love my kids. Like, I, we, we built the house that we always wanted to build. We built a house. We thought we were going to live in that house for the rest of our lives. Like, kind of everything that the American dream, other than being super wealthy, we never wanted that. Right? But we were abounding in what we had. We had all of the things we wanted. And I was in my late 20s. And I didn't think I'd get, all, I didn't think I'd get to this place until I was probably in my 40s. But we were there in my late 20s. And I remember, like, I kind of had all the things, all the goals, like the smaller goals that I had in my life. And I remember after that was all done, after a time, I was like, is this it? Like, shouldn't I feel more whole? Like, it, it just felt like, shouldn't, shouldn't I kind of feel like I've arrived in some way? that I'm good now. But I was really happy with a lot of those things. I love my wife, I love my kids, and I, I, I loved living in Bolivar, that's where we used to live. Like, but it's some, there's something in me that just didn't feel quite right. There's something in me that didn't feel whole. And that's the, listen, that's the risk of abounding. We think a bounty's not as big of a risk. I think it might be more of a risk because it makes us so blind. On the flip side of that, we have times when we're brought low. Again, I said it's translated as being humble. Not willingly humble, but humbled by life. So maybe that's through loss. Maybe that's through sin. Maybe that's through someone's sin against us. Maybe that's sickness that we can't shake, that we can't get rid of. Maybe it's being hated by people or despised by people, or not liked by people, and just feel like that's not deserved. Or maybe it's a thousand other things in this life, when this life is unfair, because this is not a fair, fair world. It's not a fair life. Whatever that thing is for you, whatever those things are for us, it makes it hard to deal with. It makes it hard to understand. It makes it hard to keep our minds right and not give in to all the negativity, to not give in to dark thoughts, to not give in to discontentment in our lives. I just want you to hear this like, and think about this. Discontentment is a cancer that slowly eats away at you having a happy, joyful, fulfilled life. It's just this cancer eating away. The same way anger and bitterness is a cancer eating away at you. Discontentment just eats away at you to where it's, it's hard to find any kind of true, true satisfaction in yourself, in other people, or where you are in life. Church, you're not going to find the answer to your contentment in a better job. Can contentment make you, can you feel a little bit more content after finding a job that you think you're really going to love? It's okay to say yes. Yes. You'll feel like you're, you're content with your life for a time. Getting a better hobby and getting really good or spending a lot of time or whatever at that hobby is not going to make you feel content. Might for a time. I'm not saying it doesn't bring you any joy, but not, not content. Finding a better spouse is not going to make you content. Being a better parent is not going to... You want me to just keep going? Because at the end of that thing, whatever that thing is for you that you think the grass is greener, a new spouse, a new job, a new this, a new that, at the end of that, when that contentment wears off, you know what you still have all the time? You. Because the problem is not your job. Can, can our jobs be a problem? 
Yes, sometimes we need to leave jobs, right? I'm not saying that, but like, like sometimes we need to get away, but you finding true contentment in your life is not gonna be found with you finding this thing. Paul had every reason in the world to be discontent, right? He had every excuse, he had every call in the world to be dissatisfied with his life, to be discontent with the situation. Heck, if we heard Paul's story, if someone came to me and they told us all the things that had happened in their life, just back to back to back, and it was like Paul's life, we would totally be understanding. Like, yeah, I get it, right? I get it. But Paul was still completely content in the Lord. How is that? How did he find contentment in the midst of, midst of the, that life in the abounding and in the suffering? Because he went through a lot of abounding and he was brought so, so low to at one point, Paul says, I was like the refuse of the world. Treated like absolute trash by people probably that should have loved him and followed him because of his love for Christ. How did Paul find contentment even though that was true? Well, the answer I'm guessing is not going to surprise you, but it's still the answer that we need. Go back and read verse 12 again, but we'll get through verse 13 this time. Philippians 4. Go back to Philippians 4. Start in verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Church, do you see the context of this? It's, it's not doing these awesome things in life because Christ's strength is enough for us, which, praise God, sometimes that's absolutely true. This is no matter how hard it gets, no matter how deep the suffering, or no, no matter how much abounding lies to you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in the highs and the lows, in life and death, in joy and suffering, in abundance and struggle, in celebrations and depression and anxiety and peace. Christ's strength is enough. His strength is enough. Do you believe that? Because it's, it's an easy thing to hear. And then it's just as easy to walk out there and try to do it in your own strength that you go out there and you'll be strong enough to make it through this thing. But do you believe that Christ in himself is strong enough for you? Over the, if you haven't been with us, over the last four weeks or so, it's really been building up to this. It, it, it's really what God has been trying to, to enable us to see as he's talked about joy and thanksgiving and humility and prayer and supplication and always, always, always find fighting to have our minds set on the right things, on the good things, on the God things. God has been pointing us to how we find the strength of Jesus Christ and how we operate within that. It's the strength of Jesus Christ in you. Like, through, like we celebrate communion. Through his death on the cross, he has given you everything that you need. Do you believe that? Flip back over to Ephesians chapter 3. Go left. Just one book. One page. In my, my Bible, it's like two or three pages. Go left. Ephesians chapter 3. This is just an awesome passage, and I know I say that a lot. No one's going to argue with me. You read, you read this passage, no one's going to argue like, no, that's not a very good passage. This is an amazing passage. But it also just happens to address the strength that we're talking about today. And so I want us to read in Ephesians 3, verse 14. Ephesians 3, verse 14. We'll read through verse 19. Ephesians 3, 14 says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Man, I love that passage. And it just keeps going. Just, just keep reading. Not, not right now. You, you can't, but just keep going. It's just all so good. Church, last week we spent a lot of time, and you weren't with us, we spent a lot of time looking at passages that speak truth to us. Because what Paul was telling us last week, what God was telling us last week, keep your minds focused on the right things. You're so focused on all the wrong things. Keep your mind focused on the right things. And one of the main things was truth. The truth that we are to pray over, to keep our minds on, to meditate on, like to turn to when our minds and hearts try to betray us, try to lie to us. And it is telling us right here in this passage that God wants to pour out his riches of glory on you. That's what he wants, that he wants to give you all the strength you'll ever need. Hey, you ready for this? God is not in this passage telling you to be stronger. Did you notice that? Do you know how many times in the, in the New Testament God says, hey, you be stronger? But a couple times, right? Be strong, be of good faith, right? That comes up. But so much more, it is saying God wants to give you his strength. He wants to give you what, what you need. He wants to pour out his strength on you. He wants, to give you all, he wants to give you all the peace, all the joy, all the strength that you'll ever need to actually operate in the things that he's telling you to do. Why? Because he loves you. All of this in the past said that it is rooted and grounded in love. This kind of love that we can't understand the height. We can't understand the depth. We can't understand just how big God's love is. We are looking for contentment in all these worldly things. Or we're blaming our discontentment and lots of other things. But what if our contentment wasn't about either of those? About what we have or what we don't have in this life or materially. What if, church, what if we really believe what God says? Right? What if we really believed who God is? What if we really accepted what God says about who we are and what God wants for us? What if we truly looked to him for our strength and believed that we could find our contentment in that strength no matter what this life threw at us? Church, Philippians has been showing us how to find that strength for a long time. How to have that contentment. That's why we said we need the whole book to really see how God's been pointing us to this this whole time. He's told us it comes with rejoicing in Christ. Like literally rejoicing, seeking our happiness in Christ. Thinking about all the ways that Christ brings us joy and that we're joyful because of who he is. It's told us it comes with thankfulness in Christ. Starting every day, all the time, being thankful for who he is, what he does, what he's continued to do, what, he, what he's done in you and what he continues to do in you. It's told us it comes through prayer and supplication, crying out, pleading to God, talking to God, building that relationship with Christ because of what Christ has done that you can come to the Father so boldly and ask and talk and spend time with. And it's told us it comes by living for and looking to the one that humbled himself to the point, even to the point of death on a cross so that you might be saved, so that you might be set free, so that you might not just endure, but that you might thrive in whatever this life might throw at you. All of this letter, all of scripture is pointing to you, this to you. 
And so listen, if you weren't here last week or you happen to miss last week, I, I really encourage you to go back and spend time in the last few passages that we were in right before this one. Because God is literally laying a foundation. He's giving very practical advice on how we might have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Or how it's stated in our passage today, how we can be content no matter what our situation is. Because really, in the end, it's the same thing. If you have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, and you understand what he's doing for you and in you and through you, you will be content no matter what. And listen, I've had to fight against that this week. Right? For those of you who know, my brain thing, whatever my brain thing is, I don't even know what to call it anymore. They don't know what's wrong with me, right? But this condition that I have, it was not a good week. I was having a hard time thinking. I was having a hard time working on my sermon. And I just wanted it to go away, right? You've been there like, this can be all kinds of suffering, all kinds of discontent. Like, I was feeling discontent. I'm like, I just want to get on a screen and answer emails. I just want to be a pastor and encourage people and send this out. I just, I just want to text people. I just want to work on my sermon on a computer. Oh, gosh, if I could do my sermon on a computer, that'd be so amazing. My typewriter broke. And then the other typewriter was trying to break. And I was trying to replace ribbons. I'm like, come on. I just want to write a sermon. I had to write my own mind, right? Things like that happen. But I had to step back and think, man, I wish this wasn't this way. You don't have to be happy about your suffering. No one's telling you to be like, yay, suffering. Except for TJ. He's weird. Everybody else, you don't have to be happy about your suffering. But when that suffering is trying to overwhelm you and make you discontent, you look at it for what it is. Yes, this is hard. But God loves me. And he is for me. And he'll never forsake me. And he saved me. And I'm going to be in heaven with him someday. And he's going to redeem this thing then, but he'll give me all the strength I need to deal with this thing now. And then you can rejoice. And then I can think, I don't know what your thing is, but my thing, I can think of the joy of not being addicted to screens anymore. I can think of the joy of not being tempted by screens. Whatever that temptation. How many temptations come from screens? I don't have to worry about my brain melting. It's melting in a different way, but I don't have to worry about melting because I'm looking at a screen. And in that, I rejoice. I have, been, I have felt like free air because I'm not addicted to screens anymore. And I didn't even realize I was addicted. You're addicted. Because I, I didn't have social media. I gave up looking at news. I didn't have anything on my phone anymore that you could scroll. Because if I had something that was going to scroll, I was going to scroll. So I got rid of everything that scrolls. Right? No YouTube, no social media, none of that stuff on my phone anymore. Right? And I found out when the screen thing came, still addicted to my phone. Still addicted to screens. I've been set free. How are you going to look? You see, again, I don't want to make it about me, but you see what we're talking about here? You can get obsessed with the thing that you don't have. Or you can rejoice in what you do have in Jesus Christ. And if you are abounding, you can live in thankfulness to God that you're abounding in your life right now. Or, listen, you can even thank God for the suffering because God promises you, through your suffering, he's building a wake of glory in you. You know what that means? He's building who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ suffered for you because he loves you. And when you suffer well in God and you turn to God in your suffering, he's transforming you to be more like Jesus. He's transforming you to have the strength of Jesus that's already there. It's just you recognizing it's already been given. He's transforming you to be like your Savior so that you will have whatever you need in abounding or in suffering. Christ is enough. It is all good. It is all for God's glory. And God wants to pour all of those riches out on you. Will you trust him? Will you look, church, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look right in the face of that discontentment in your life. And I want you to call it a lie. No matter what it is, I want you to call it a lie. I'm not saying that it means that everything is easy. Life is hard. 
And we have to go through hard things, but you look at that discontentment and you call what it is a lie, and then you take it to Jesus Christ. And you rejoice that he is bigger and he is stronger and he is more glorious than whatever that thing is. And he'll begin to set you free from that discontentment. And he'll bring you contentment, satisfaction in your life. And you'll be able to say, in the right context, with a full heart, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray.